The title of my message this morning is Mediator of a Better Covenant, and my text is taken from various uh, passages in the book of Hebrews. Lord, we thank you for these moments when we can look into your word. And we ask that you would bless our time together. May we hear the words that you want us to hear today and be able to apply them to our hearts and to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The prophet Jeremiah writes in part in Jeremiah 31, beginning at verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers, which they broke, but I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall know all of me, uh, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. These uh, precious promises specific to the house of Israel, you know, God's people, the Jews, will be fulfilled one day in the future. And yet we who are Gentile believers have already reaped the benefits of the new covenant. This is the glorious truth that Jesus revealed to his disciples when he instituted the Lord's Supper. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And what this means is anyone who comes to the cross of Christ as an individual and repentant sinner, whether he be Jew or Gentile, personally experiences the new covenant in Jesus' blood. And there's no difference as far as every man's need for forgiveness and cleansing in the blood of Jesus. We read in Romans chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law, that is the Gentiles, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, that is the Jews, will be judged by the law. And furthermore, Paul adds in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now clearly it's not possible to be saved by keeping the Old Testament law. And that's why both Jew and Gentile need a new and a better covenant, as well as a mediator of a new and better covenant. And of course that mediator is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some might ask the question, well, why, why do we need a mediator? The short answer is that we are sinful and God is holy. The problem was Adam and Eve offended God when they sinned against him. He had given them only one rule to follow, and they broke that one rule. And as a result, God's sentence of death was placed upon them the very same sentence of death that is placed upon each and every one of us. Our God, as you know, is a God of love and mercy and kindness, to be sure. But He is also a God of righteousness, holiness, and justice. 
And because He is holy and righteous, He demands that anyone who would dare enter into His presence also be holy and righteous. That's why we need to do something. Or maybe we should say that's why we need to have something done for us regarding our sin. That's why we need a mediator. We need someone to intercede on our behalf. So why do we need Christ, our mediator? Well, it's simple. We cannot ever approach God without Him. Well, this brings up another related question. Well, why, why do we need a better covenant? Well, once again, the answer can be traced back to Adam and Eve. After they sinned, we read in Genesis 3-7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Before the fall, before Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they did not know sin. They had not experienced evil. You see, God was trying to shelter them when, when He said in Genesis 2.17, From the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Now, if I understand anything about the nature of God, these words were not so much an ugly threat as they were a compassionate warning. God did not want Adam and Eve to know evil. And it, it's the same today. He doesn't want us to experience sin and its consequences. His commandments are given to us to shelter and to protect us. The Bible says their eyes were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together in an effort to hide their nakedness. Adam and Eve knew immediately that they had done wrong. In their consciences, in their hearts, they knew their sin had been exposed. And what then did they do? Well, in essence, they tried to solve their sin problem on their own. Adam and Eve were well aware of what had taken place. They knew sin needed to be covered. The Bible says they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. However, that wasn't going to solve their problem, for with garments of fig leaves, no blood was shed. Clearly, this is an attempt, this was a symbolic attempt of man's efforts to save himself. But it would never do. Adam and Eve can never atone for themselves. So what then did God so lovingly do? Genesis 3.21 And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. With garments of skin, blood had to be shed. This act was also symbolic. A beautiful portrait of God's plan to redeem mankind. It pointed to a future moment in time when uh, 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 God's plan to redeem mankind would come. A future moment in time when the Lord Jesus Christ would offer His own blood. Blood had to be shed to provide a covering for Adam and Eve. Blood had to be shed as part of the Old Covenant to cover the sins of the Hebrew people. 
Blood had to be shed in the new covenant when Jesus died to take away your sins and mine. Hebrews 9.22 is undeniable. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Hebrews 9.18 makes it clear that the old covenant was indeed a covenant of blood, but it was animal blood. And there was a problem with the old covenant and the blood of animals. Hebrews 10.4 says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. If you or I want to be eternally saved, our sins must be taken away, blotted from our record. The problem was and is that the old covenant simply could not accomplish this. In the Old Testament, sins were merely covered in anticipation of Christ's blood shed on the cross. Even as David said in Psalm 32:1, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. At that point, sins were forgiven and covered, but not completely removed. As we read a moment ago, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And this is an extremely critical point. In the Old Testament, the sins of believers were totally forgiven, just like the sins of New Testament believers. But they were not completely removed. And this was the problem for those who trusted in the Old Covenant. Sins were merely covered. They were not taken away. At the cross, however, all Old Testament believers' sins and all New Testament believers' sins were entirely removed. They were totally obliterated. You see, if perfection were obtainable under the Levitical priesthood, under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament law, there would have been no need for a New Covenant and there would be no need for a Mediator. We read about this in Hebrews 7, verses 18, 19, and 22. There is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So much more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Because the old system was imperfect, it had to be temporary until the perfect came. We read in Hebrews 10, verse 1a in the NIV, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. The law is only an illustration of what would follow. In the second half of that verse, verse 1b, we read, For the law can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. The law, the old covenant, simply cannot save. The law, the old covenant, cannot make anyone perfect and holy. For if one could be eternally saved by way of the Old Testament sacrifices, by way of the blood of animals, 
Would they not have stopped offering those sacrifices? The writer asks in Hebrews 10, verse 2. But those never-ending sacrifices could not. That's why we need Jesus, our mediator. And we need him to do something for us. And the writer to the Hebrews tells us exactly what Jesus did. Hebrews 10, 14. For by one offering of his own blood, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You know, this is where the promises of the new covenant really speak to my heart. The writer says in Hebrews 7.25, Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because Jesus Christ lives forever as our high priest at the right hand of God. He is the guarantee of a better covenant. What a blessed promise. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and He lives forever so that, my, that He may forever intercede for you and for me. You see, the old covenant was conditional. It depended upon man's obedience at which he failed miserably. The new covenant is a covenant of promise. It's a, a covenant of, of grace. It depends entirely upon God for its success. The old covenant failed, and God knew that it would fail, simply because man chose to rebel against God. Man chose to disobey his directives. This brings up a third interesting question. Did God fail with the old covenant since it was he was the originator of it? The writer of the Hebrews answers that question. Hebrews 8.7 in the New Living Translation says, If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But look at the very next verse, Hebrews 8.8. But when God found fault with the people... He said, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. You see, God found no fault with the old covenant per se. Its failure was man's doing. Finding fault with the people, that is with mankind, God said, I will need to make a new covenant because man was and still is incapable of following the rules. It is impossible for you and me to obtain eternal life under the old covenant because we cannot obey God perfectly. Furthermore, we cannot obtain eternal life under the new covenant either without Christ as our mediator because we still can't obey God perfectly. I have one final point to make this morning. Jesus not only offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins of all believers, but as our high priest, he also personally mediates the new covenant in his blood. The writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 9 verse 15, Christ is the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people. 
so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. Now when someone dies and leaves a will, which is a type of covenant, no one gets anything until it is determined that the person who wrote the will has actually died. And there are two critical truths to note in the verse that I just read, Hebrews 9.15. First of all, Jesus mediates the new covenant so that all who are his children receive the inheritance that he promised them. And secondly, no one receives any inheritance until it is established that the one who initiated the will is dead. Allow me to illustrate this. Robbie Flockhart was a British World War II veteran. And some years ago, he related this true story. A dying soldier friend in, the military hospital, in a military hospital in Europe during World War II promised me a small inheritance of a few hundred pounds for coming to his aid in the battlefield after he had been seriously wounded. He scrawled his wishes on a slip of paper, signed and dated it, and gave it to me. However, the wounded soldier lived. So I could not collect the inheritance. Several years later, after the war, the soldiers who had so miraculously recovered from his wartime injuries finally died. And when I received word of his death and presented the slip of paper to the attorney handling his estate, he had a judge rule that the handwritten note was not legal. If my friend were still living, Flockhart said, he would certainly have set the record straight. And so I was cheated twice. Once because my soldier friend lived and I could not receive his inheritance. And a second time because he died and he could not express his desires to the court. Friend, this is not the case with Jesus. He lived and died to purchase my salvation. And he lives again to guarantee my inheritance. In other words, Jesus died on the cross to provide for my reward in heaven. And he rose from the grave to make sure that I get it. Jesus had to die. That was part of the new covenant. No one receives an inheritance until it is determined that the one who wrote the will, the one who made the covenant, has died. And yet Jesus did not remain in the tomb. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. And today he mediates the new covenant so that all who are trusting in him receive the inheritance he promised. What a marvelous plan that is. One final verse from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. Right now, Jesus is there in heaven interceding on our behalf. 
And you know, we, we need an intercessor for Satan, the accuser of the brethren, as we find in Revelation 12.10. Keeps reminding God about our many sins and failures and shortcomings. But you know, every time he does that, Jesus steps in and he says, wait a minute, Satan. You can't bring up those sins anymore. I already paid the price for those sins. My blood was shed for those sins. They are forgiven and forgotten. Friend, that's why I am eagerly awaiting him. And he shall appear a second time. And I look forward to that day when Jesus, my Savior, shall come again. For my salvation at that time will be complete. No mention of any sin. And what the believer, what I believe the, the writer is saying here in, in this phrase without reference to sin is that in this life I will always need an intercessor because I continually sin. I, I live in a fleshly body. I live under the curse of sin. But one day Jesus Christ will appear a second time for my completed salvation without reference to any sin I have ever committed. John says in the Amplified Bible in 1 John 3.2 Beloved, we are even here and now God's children. And it is not yet disclosed, made clear what we shall be hereafter. But we know that when He comes and is manifested, we shall, as God's children, resemble Him and be like Him. For we shall see Him just as He really is. And my friend, of all of the attributes of God, there is one that I desire most, and that is His holiness. I want to be without sin. I want to be holy and righteous and pure. And that's why I need Jesus, my mediator. That's why I need a new covenant in His blood. Heavenly Father, we thank You for these words. We pray that they would even speak to our hearts as we leave this place and even throughout the day. And we ask that if there's anyone here who has not yet found Christ as Savior, may they realize that they cannot be saved any way other than through the blood of Jesus. And that they would confess their sins and invite Him into their heart and life to be their Savior and Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.